Hey guys, thanks for joining us for this 129th episode in Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests on this episode include drummer and author Mike Edison. We'll talk about his book, Sympathy for the Drummer, Why Charlie Watts Matters. We'll also visit with former Governor Mark Sanford about his new book, Two Roads Diverged. We'll also visit with legendary Paul Anka. We'll talk about his recent 80th birthday and his new album that's available now, Making Memories. Our final guest will be writer, director, producer, Joel Swasson. He's got a new film, My Best Worst Adventure, which will be available digitally on September 1st. Of course, if you would, please take the time to subscribe, comment, leave some feedback, check out the shop, and share with your friends. Now, are you a cool mom? Or maybe better question, do you care if you're a cool mom? A new poll found 47% of moms worry about whether their kids think they're cool. The survey also asked kids to name the things a cool mom should never do. And here are three things that can instantly make you an uncool mom. Using their nickname in front of their friends, like calling them Sweetheart or Jamie instead of James. Shouting their name in a sporting event or any other event they're taking part in. And finally, 40% of kids say a cool mom would never dance in public. We lost one of the greats, uh, one of the rock and roll legends. Uh, Charlie Watts passed away this week, and we've got Mike Edison on the line. Going to talk about the book, Sympathy for the Drummer, why Charlie Watts matters, and also a little bit more. And first off, Mike, I appreciate you taking some time to be on the show. Uh, it was a great loss this week, and uh, I wrote this book as a, as a real shot of love. So uh, it's kind of, for me, it's bittersweet. It's very sad, but there's a lot of love involved. I'll celebrate the book, Sympathy for the Drummer, how long was the process of the book? And now, as you look back, I mean, how proud are you of the fact of putting it out ahead of time, if you will? Well, there's no way to anticipate that. Uh, I mean, I, I, <laughs> this wasn't the way it was supposed to go down. Uh, I'll tell you what, people always ask how long it took to write this book, and I always tell them 45 years. <laughs> you know, that's how long, uh, when I started playing the drums, when I started realizing that Charlie Watts was something that was going to be very difficult to decipher and something I really had to like try to crack code. And that's the beauty of Charlie Watts. It's deceptively simple, but there's a lot of nuance, a lot of style, a lot of swing, plays a lot of uh, jazz and, and syncopations in places where there aren't normally such things. So I've been thinking about this book uh, my whole life. And in the meanwhile, <laughs> I wrote 10 other books. But, uh, <laughs> drummer was, yeah, but this was like always there, you know, it was always there, and I, yeah, I'm very proud that I wrote a book about uh, Charlie Watts, because I don't think anyone else uh, was going to do it, um, and in fact, maybe the, my, the proudest moment is when Charlie Watts himself called me on the phone to tell me they thought it was a lovely book, and I heard that uh, generally the Rolling Stones really dug it, and they invited me to come out and see them at Soundcheck, and I'm sad that that's not going to happen. Now, for you, what do you think the biggest misconception about Charlie was? I mean, I, I always thought he looked out of place. I mean, that's just, for me, that's that's what I've noticed uh, as far as fitting in with the Rolling Stones. But for you, what do you think is the biggest misconception about him? I know he's got uh, a diverse uh, drumming background as well. Uh, well, out of place because he wasn't the guy who, you know, spent his paycheck on eyeliner. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, he, 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 you, you, you know, because he dressed, uh, 
you know, a little bit more like a like, like a jazz musician or right. uh, you know, someone someone out for a night in the town. And the triple, you know, I mean, Mick Jagger's big, you know, gender bending glamour puss and has been over the years. In fact, he looks like a pirate half the time. Uh, you know, Charlie is a little bit out of place because he wasn't the actual rock star. He didn't want to be in a rock and roll band when he joined the Rolling Stones. He was slumming it to join their their blues band. <laughs> and you know, and of course it took off, but but they started. He says they started getting good gigs when they got Charlie. They really, really wanted them because they knew he was a guy who knew how to swing the band like other people could could possibly do it. What what was it that for about Charlie that kept the drive alive? And like you said, he was slumming it to be a part of the Rolling Stones. Did uh, how long did it take for him to really feel comfortable in his own skin as the drummer for the Stones, if you will? Well, you know, that's the great thing, too, about Charlie Watts is he didn't, you know, the stork didn't drop him off completely formed on the doorstep of the Rolling Stones. Was, I think if you listen to The Who and you hear Keith Moon explode on the first record, if you're, you know, the first thing John Bonham plays with Led Zeppelin, these guys, I mean, that's what they did. That's what they did the whole time. They were, you know, in, in those groups, and it's fantastic. But Charlie, he started out swinging these old blues songs, and then a little bit later, they get satisfaction, and you hear him really start to stomp it. It's practically punk rock really aggressive. And then, the next thing you know, they're getting a jumping jack flash, and Street Fighting Man, and he's a completely different drummer. He's holding it back, he's showing uh, a little bit more style, and, and, and by the time they get to Thumb Girls, he's just a completely different guy. He's really moving in and out of songs, even on the really hard rocking songs. He's doing things that are just impossible to anticipate. They're very, he's an auto-type act. It's impossible to copy. As a drummer, I'd sit and listen to it, and you couldn't learn it because there weren't parts to learn. You had to try to anticipate it or, or, or breathe into it. You know, look, if you go on YouTube and you type in how to play like Charlie Watts, you find almost nothing because it's too deceptively simple. It's too so nuanced that it's impossible to do. Whereas if you type in how to play Rush or Yes, you know, these things that are you know, supposed to be very difficult, you will find 10,000 perfectly in their bedrooms because you could learn it. You could, you could learn those parts. But Charlie Watts, can't worry. He's got to live with it and breathe with it. And, uh, and that, there's there's jazz in it, even when he's playing in the most hard rock songs of all time, like Jumping Jack Flash and Street Fighting Man and Give Me Shelter. It really has a lot of nuance to it. Now, Mike, for you as uh, as also a drummer yourself, what kind of an impact did Charlie have on you and your stylings? Well, Charlie was everything. You know, I mean, he's a great country drummer, great blues drummer, which is really hard to do. It's so much harder than, than people think it is to play a good shuffle beat. And that's why so many blues bands you know, playing at bars kind of, kind of suck because the idea is that this music is simple, sort of got into the you know the collective mindset that anybody can play you know blues in a bar, but it's really difficult. It's like making pizza, I always say. There's so few ingredients, and yet there's so much bad pizza. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it's very, you really have to have to put your heart into it and charlie understood that and he sat down and had the discipline you know to really do it so for me I, i've learned so much i listen to it all the time and even after writing this book i'm sitting down with the drums with the headphones on and wondering oh my i can't believe the things he's doing on monkey man and, and midnight rambler it's, it's nearly impossible uh to play as, as a third party looking at him from a distance you know he and he really drove the band That's right. so we're gonna see it you know they're going on tour with the, with the with the guy sitting in for him, and they got the they got the right guy, uh, candidate uh, to sit in for Charlie Watts. But it is Charlie Watts, and so do you exactly like him? Do you try to play like him? Do you try to? Uh, I mean, everyone knows. Everyone knows. 
which you really want. So I guess the fans will decide whether it's an authentic Stones experience. And that's not even necessarily saying that it is the Rolling Stones. I think everyone's going to have a good time. It's going to be emotionally charged. But what do you do now? They always said, no Charlie, no Rolling Stones. So I don't know. I'm Mick Jagger. I'm starting to think about my retirement time. There you go. Well, again, the book, uh, Sympathy for the Drummer, Why Charlie Watts Matters. Uh, Mike, I want to make sure and let our listeners know if they'd like to find more info about the book and uh, your other writings and social media as well, sir. Yeah, please find me on MikeEdison.com. There's lots of stuff there. You can get the book. There's some excerpts. There's some playlists that I put together so you can listen to all the music that's in in the book from the very beginnings of the Rolling Stones playing blues to some of my very favorite live tracks, uh, some of Charlie Watts' favorite jazz tracks even. Uh, MikeEdison.com. The book, of course, is Sympathy for the Drummer, Why Charlie Watts Matters. And yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff up there, videos, music, uh, just fun. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry that like you know I wrote this book and then this this, this happened. It's kind of like just came out of nowhere. Everyone said, "Oh, you know, he's going to be okay. We're going to see him next year." Uh, it's not being unfortunately sad. It's a, it's a real loss. It's a real blow because you guys like the Rolling Stones. They really are the last connection to the beginnings of rock and roll. I mean, they played with Chuck Berry, and James Brown, and Little Richard, and Little Diddley. They knew Marvin Gaye. You know, there's no one else to replace them. So. That's right. Well, uh, again, Mike Edison, it has been great to visit with you, sir. Looking forward to spending some more time with the book myself and hope you have a great rest of your week, sir. All right. Thanks very much. We do want to say thanks to our sponsor for today's episode, Smiley's Breezy Vapes at 313 Falcon Road. They've got Wacky Wednesdays coming up every week. They do a special drawing on Wednesdays and Fridays. You can give them a call or send a text at 580-471-VAPE. That's 580-471-8273. Smiley's Breezy Vapes, 313 Falcon Road, here in Altus. Well, changing the most popular thing on your menu is risky. But one of the biggest fast food chains is doing exactly that. Wendy's is changing its french fries, and they claim it's an upgrade. But obviously, fans are nervous. They're adjusting the way that they're cut, and they're leaving some of the potato skin on, but that's already how they do their fries. The biggest change is they're coating them in a light batter that's supposed to make them crispier. Now, they're doing it because more of us are ordering delivery now, so our food sits in the bag for an average of 15 more minutes and old soggy fries have become an issue. The new fries are supposed to stay fresh and crispy for a lot longer. And Wendy's says they will taste different, but it's a good different. They'll shift over to the new fries in mid-September. In other fast food news, Taco Bell's version of a fried chicken sandwich arrives next week. They announced it in January, and they've been testing it in Nashville and Charlotte it'll be available nationwide next Thursday. It's all wheat chicken marinated in jalapeno buttermilk and served in a piece of flatbread instead of a bun. So it's like a hot chicken sandwich in taco form. Former Governor Mark Sanford got a new book to talk about, Two Roads Diverged. And first off, Governor Sanford, such a privilege to visit with you. Another way around. Thank you for letting me join you. 
Now tell us uh, the book, Two Roads Diverged. How long of a process was it coming up with uh, the concept or was it maybe somebody pushing you to get this written, if you will? Well, I wouldn't say pushing, but I would say encouraging. A friend came to me and said, look, you really ought to write this. You're wrapping up a long spell in politics and... Uh, you know, I think you have a few thoughts to offer, both on where we are and where we might be going as a country. And so I wrote it relatively quickly. I, I, it was sort of a one last chance to say, hey, I, I believe True North to be over here, and I believe we're at something of an inflection point as a country, um, and, and off we went to the races. And Governor, I know the byline of the book, a second chance for the Republican Party, the conservative movement, the nation and ourselves. And how important is it that we really take into consideration what we're doing as we move forward because of the ripple effect of how that trickles down to generations that follow as well? I think real important. I I, 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 I think that we're at a bigger inflection point, really, than we've ever seen before in our country. You know, from a financial standpoint, in terms of debt, deficit, government spending, we're more vulnerable, I would argue, than we've ever been in the history of our country. And, you know, bad things happen to uh, a federal budget and bad things happen to an economy. So I I think you have that, uh, you know, leg of a stool that's wobbly. And the other is we have a a level of of, of sort of tribalism that I think is dangerous. You know, the, the left is striding about what it believes, and the right is striding about it, what it believes, and, and, and we're, we're losing our center. The, the core of what has held our country together has been that vital center, the, the working middle class. And, and if you don't watch out, you know, a centrifugal force has a way of spinning things out of control. And I think you combine those two things, and we really are at a fork in the road, and I think we need to be contemplative about the steps we take going forward. And, G- Governor, for you, I mean, you you mentioned this as well. Emotions, I think, are, are playing a bigger role than in decisions than maybe we've seen before. And how do we get away from emotional bureaucracy, if you will? By all of us uh, taking a deep breath. Um, you know, we live in a cancel culture age where everybody's so easily offended. I'm offended by this. I'm offended by that. Let's quit being offended. Let's have a little bit more empathy toward one another. Let's have just a little bit more humility and less hubris in our approach toward others. And just back away a little bit from the edge. I mean, if we all did that collectively, uh, we'd be a whole lot better off. As it is, people are awfully strident. Uh, You look at social media these days and... You know, our founding fathers gave us a reason-based republic, but but for it to work, you actually have to have reason. You just can't have emotion driving the train, and we have a lot of emotion, indeed, driving the train these days. And, Governor, what do you think it's going to take for the conservative movement, uh, the the Republican Party, to to come back around to more of an open door to others as well? What is it going to take to get to that as well? you look at the base of the people I knew in the conservative movement, they're good people. Um, but, you know, with due respect to President Trump, and, and I know he's a lightning rod, some people love him, some people hate him, I, I, I don't think he did us any favors in the way he was as strident as he was. I, I remember being in a town hall meeting, and this guy was just wearing me out. I mean, obnoxious. And so afterward, I went to him, and I said, look, I, I don't know you, but I know you by reputation, and 
whatever this was that was going on didn't sound like the, the you that I've heard about. And he responds to me, he says, look, if the President of the United States can say anything to anybody on any subject at any time, why can't I? And I, I think he gave people license, if you will, to be a bit more strident. And I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing. I, I think we need to be listening to each other just a, a, a touch more. I, I think our politics might be a little bit less combative. And, Governor, I know that you wrote into the memoir as well some some tough times as well, and it also gives hope as uh, we all go through stuff in our lives, but being able to to make the turnaround, the changes, and given another chance as well. And, Governor, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that as well. Yeah. I mean, I I, I dress it up front. You know, I blew myself up in 2009. Now, the people who knew me best along the coast of South Carolina – Ended up two years later, uh, after I left the governorship, um, elected me back to the U.S. Congress, and went back up to Congress for another three terms. Um, but that was a journey, a, a real journey. And, and what it taught me a lot was about uh, empathy and humility. I used to read the paper and think, idiot, idiot, moron, what were they thinking? <laughs> and now it's, but by the grace of God, go I. And the reality of our lives is that um, at some point or another, whether publicly or privately, we'd mess up. And we wish we could push rewind play, but that's not life. And we all go through life a little bit wounded, but hopefully in that process, a little bit more empathetic toward others, a little bit more humble in our approach. And so I, I thought it was important to write about that just to say I'm not some perfect politician. Everybody in politics tries to pretend they're perfect. I am fully human, and I've got the scrapes and bruises to show it, but I hope that that gives me a little bit more authority and authenticity in saying, based on my journey of a second chance, I I think the Republican Party and conservative movement absolutely has a second chance before it, if we will take it. And, you know, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat really doesn't matter, uh, but what we need is a robust debate of ideas in this party. I mean, one perspective only will lead you to the Bay of Pigs. That was a famous incident at in, the in time of the Kennedy administration where you had a bunch of bright minds in the room, but they came up with a faulty decision because there wasn't any comparing and contrasting of ideas. So I, I, I think that uh, ideas from the left are made a little bit better if you have the right tugging at them, and ideas from the right are made a little bit better if you have the left tugging at them. And it goes back to the, again, core of what's made this country great is the ability to work through ideas and come up with a solution that had a little bit of both perspectives in it. Well, that is right. And again, the memoir, Two Roads Diverged, A Second Chance for the Republican Party, the Conservative Movement, the Nation, and Ourselves. Governor Mark Sanford, I always want to make sure and let our listeners know where they can find more info, not only about the book, but everything you've got going social media-wise as well, sir. Uh, they can find me at MarkSanford.com, just on the, the Internet, they can find the book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or all those different sort of online places that you can buy those kinds of things. And there's 25 years worth of hard knocks of experience perspective in it. That's right. Well, Governor, again, it has been a privilege to have the chance to visit with you, sir. I appreciate you taking some time and uh, looking forward to spending some more time with the book myself. Yes, sir. Take good care. We do want to say thanks to our sponsor for today's episode, Smiley's Breezy Vapes at 313 
Falcon Road. They've got Wacky Wednesdays coming up every week. They do a special drawing on Wednesdays and Fridays. You can give them a call or send a text at 580-471-VAPE. That's 580-471-8273. Smiley's Breezy Vapes, 313 Falcon Road, here in Altus. Well, there's a new survey that found the average woman feels the most confident with her looks at age 32. That doesn't mean confidence plummets after 32, though. It actually goes up for most women. Almost two-thirds say the older that they get, the more confident they are in general. And here are the top five reasons. Number one, you care less about what other people think. 63% agreed with that one. Number two, you feel more settled down in life. Number three, it gets easier to embrace changes in your looks. Number four, more support from friends and family. And number five, you feel more confident at work and know you're good at your job. We've got the legendary Paul Anka on the line, got a new album excited to talk about called Making Memories. And first off, Paul, always great to visit with you, sir. Thank you. It's good to be able to talk to you again. Now, now tell us Making Memories, celebrating your 80th birthday. That's uh, first off, congratulations for that. But I tell you, you got a lot of folks to help you celebrate that birthday as well. Yeah, they all showed up and surprised me. I saw what you saw. I was probably the last one to see it. And it was uh, it was memorable. I, uh, you know, I'm not a big birthday guy, frankly. You know, I kind of live my life away from the numbers and just work instinctively to what I'm doing. But it was a big turn, and to have this album that uh, that I've been working on. You know, we, we all got locked up in COVID, obviously. But I was fortunate enough that being locked away and quarantined, I, I just started writing, and uh, it never stopped. So I got to the point where, okay, 80th birthday. What am I going to give someone else back, my fans? And by the end of it, we'd finished it, and we had a quite, quite, quite special moments with it. You know, the, my wave with its anniversary with Bublé and Buccelli was a kick. Uh, Olivia Newton-John, you know, that TikTok kind of brought shoulder back. So I, I was really kind of proud of it all that it came together, and uh, to still be making music, you know, which is my passion. I've been doing it since. I was, 14 years old, I was very kind of humbled by that because, you know, you sit there as a writer sometime and, and wonder if you're going to be able to write something that you appreciate and are proud of, not just something. And that's where I landed with this. So it, it all came together very nicely. And Paul, how surprising is it sometimes how your music has touched others? And I know social media has allowed music to go places we never even imagined. I mean, who would have seen what TikTok did for you this last year, right? Boy, that's a great point. You know, those of us that started, you know, back when, uh, we never envisioned anything like this. Now to be living it and realizing the impact is quite, you know, amazing to me. I'm not one of those that judges how the times change and its content and you know i wish we could go back to the old days i just don't live like that so as i see all of this and marvel at its possibility especially shoulder i had no idea i mean it's coming up to me now and all that stuff and it's just it's amusing it's gratifying and you look at it and you well the big point for me was that in doing making memories 
you know, everybody was confined, obviously, and I had to, you know, with the technology, which is part of the whole TikTok thing in terms of what it brings forth to us, I was talking to guys in their home and they were putting guitar parts on when I needed a string section in Budapest. And we're sitting here in, in California, and I got a symphony orchestra in Budapest putting all the strings on. So the whole technology age has allowed us to really thrive like that, and that was the, the big, big kick. But I'm really enjoying the uh, TikTok thing because they're getting so innovative with it. It's, uh, it's gratifying. You know, your song's like your children, and Shoulder was probably my favorite song from the 50s. And I know that going along with this, you've also announced a, a 22 city North American concert tour. And Paul, how different is your mentality going in after having so much time away? Another great question. You know, first I'm still crossing my fingers that it's going to start in October. You know, we the tour starts on the 22nd in New York. We don't end until June of next year, and the anticipation of it is, you know, kind of concerning uh you know uh, we've got to remember a lot of words all over again we've got to remember music all over again we've got to kind of get our feet wet again uh it's you know we'll do it it's going to be fine but it's a new one for me i've never not been out of work like this close to two years it's a little frightening i just hope it happens now, Paul, you mentioned how you never had this kind of time off, and it, with yes. us having so much time to ourselves, one of the questions I love is, 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 did it maybe reinvigorate that fire in your heart to get out there and perform, or to, or to write maybe more? Well, certainly to write. I mean, I, when the reality of it was, it wasn't going to be short term, and everybody played by the rules, and, you know, I was just locked away here, um... It was just amazing how I said, wow, you know, I, I've never had this kind of time. And it all came to play, you know, and I sat down and just started writing like I've never written before because it was always very eclectic and other things to do. So that really made the big difference. And, of course, the most important was, you know, we're all close to our families. We all love our families, but we all have things to do, but to have that much time to be with your family and then sit down and have your passion to write, uh, we all adjusted in different ways. You know, right now I pray that we're just going to get back to some kind of normal because we've got this great foundation now that has kind of put us in a different pivot position. That is right. Now, Paul, if folks want to find uh, more information about uh, making memories and, of course, the yeah. the tour dates as those become available, TikTok and all that, where's the best place to keep up with all that, my friend? Well, I guess you Googled it all up. You know, we've got a site, and if you start out Googling, I'm, I'm not a, <laughs> a big computer guy. I'm so tired of looking at, you know, looking at notes playing pianos that, you know, i got a staff that put it all up online and pretty easy to get to and that will spill everything out i think yeah there you go well well paul I think there's, some, there's some great casinos my apologies in in oklahoma and uh, there's a couple there i forget the name but we we're going to be hitting them next year all right well paul we look forward to seeing you when you come back around and it's always a privilege to visit with you sir appreciate your time and hopefully uh, we'll catch up again real soon sir certainly thank you so much for having me again 
We do want to say thanks to our sponsor for today's episode, Smiley's Breezy Vapes at 313 Falcon Road. They've got Wacky Wednesdays coming up every week. They do a special drawing on Wednesdays and Fridays. You can give them a call or send a text at 580-471-VAPE. That's 580-471-8273. Smiley's Breezy Vapes, 313 Falcon Road, here in Altus. For most of 2020, the best option for socializing was sitting in a badly lit room on Zoom, trying to parse a group conversation to determine who was saying what without again saying, what was that? Well, this Labor Day, it's safer for vaccinated Americans to socialize in person. And according to a new survey, many people are looking to have a cookout. 72% of people say they have created lasting memories around a grill. 51% say outdoor barbecues are an ideal venue for socializing. And 47% said a grill is like an at-home version of the office water cooler. The grill was more popular than hanging out at a restaurant, sitting around at a dining room table, being at a park, or even socializing on vacation. Our final guest on the episode, and like I mentioned to him before we came on, as, as I started reading through his bio, uh, his byline, kept getting more nervous and more nervous as uh, I look at the, the works he's been involved in. Joel Soisson on with us today. Did I get close? Perfectly said. How about that? Joel, first off, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Very excited. Now, we've talked about uh, several movies that you've worked on before. We may get to those in, in a bit, but got mm -hmm. a new movie available on digital on the first called My Best Worst Adventure. Tell our listeners a little bit where this came from for you. Um, well, I have, uh, as you probably noticed, Cameron, done quite a few uh, horror films and action films and teen comedies and basically what we call a genre films. <laughs> and they've, they've been good to me and I've tried to be good to them, but um, it doesn't really scratch the itch of a filmmaker to do a sort of a real story about real people in real circumstances. And what I found when I was shooting in Thailand, uh, a little um, horror thriller uh, in Bangkok, that um, the producer there had this wonderful story about growing up in, in Thailand in the, in the north of the country near Cambodia, a little, tiny little town where they, they had this bizarre sport where they would race water buffaloes. Hmm. And those suckers are fast. They're fast as horses on the sprint. And what these kids do is they climb on top of them and they race each other, you know, dozens at a time. And it's like you're sitting atop a stampede. And hanging on for dear life, no bridles or nothing, to, you know, nothing to grip, no saddles. It's bare back and it's just balls out. And if you fall off, you know, it's uh, <laughs> you're going to get mashed. So um, I just thought as 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 a milieu for a, for a, a story, but also as a sports story, a sports movie and and just a different take on sort of the sea biscuit national velvet all those old horse racing stories that we grew up with and loved and yet it also appealed to my horror side because what you're really talking about is this girl from la a 13 year old girl who has trouble 
uh, with her father and gets shipped off to her quirky grandmother in Northern Thailand. And it is like being dropped on an alien planet. You are just in the middle of all of these strangers. You don't understand them. They're weird. They're dangerous. And you're really in a struggle for survival. Now, for you, you, you talked about getting the concept and the idea while you were in Thailand. Is is it from the travels that you've had over the years that have maybe inspired some of the writings? Quite a lot. I mean, um, inspired both the, the ideas and the, and the writing side, but also the how to get things done side. We mm. have this notion in America that we got it all figured out. You know, we have the technology, <laughs> we have the toys, we have the smarts, but um a lot of these countries that don't have the resources that we do um, have the skills to make up for it. It's like, you know, when dogs became domesticated, they got a lot dumber than the wolves because they just got <laughs> everything was delivered to them on, on, on a plate, you know. And I feel like that as an American sometimes I've gotten sort of sloppy. And uh, I'm always thinking when I'm overseas, especially uh, in in what we kind of charmingly called the third world countries, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's been a real eye opener. And that's part of why I wanted to do this movie is to sort of uh, narrow the cultural divide of like us and them and the haves and the have nots and all those, those things that just seem to be dividing us up, like, you know, hugely. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, um, yeah. So it, I'm always inspired and, and you just, you know, as most of us know, you walk into a bar and you sit down and you, you talk to a stranger, he's going to inform your life in a way that will make you different from the way you walked in. Mm, that's and good. you might not be sober either, but that's a different <laughs> that's, part of it. <laughs> that's a whole nother tangent of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, now, Joel, this, this last year, what are, what are maybe some of the things that, uh, that, that you have learned about yourself having to spend more time alone and, and separate from other people? What are maybe some of the, maybe new inspirations or something? I learned that I am a comfortable introvert for one thing, because the isolation was nurturing to me. I just, you know, part of, I guess, the reason being that my work life is such a a social, you know, um, life that you're, you're constantly bouncing off other people and, and that's great. And I, I do enjoy their company, but to, to learn about quiet, we, we live in a very noisy culture, don't you think? I mean, it's very. just like the media and the people and the things happening around us and the constant assaults on our, on our, on our senses. And I got quiet in 2020. I mean, that was just a remarkable thing, you know, grieving over the suffering and, and, you know, trying to reach out at times to sort of help us in any way, way that I could. But, um, but also reveling in that solitude, like being on a desert island and knowing sooner or later you're going to get rescued, right? <laughs> now, the story in My Best Worst Adventure, the character, I noticed I watched the, the, the trailer a moment ago, a lot of silence in this. And in the writing process, is, is the silent parts, the descriptive parts, are those harder to write than the actual dialogue parts? That's a, that's a wonderful question. Um, yes. Um, but it's also, it, it's a good challenge because, you know, I'm not quite old enough to remember the silent film days, but I love them. 
And um, I love them because that's what film is. It's a visual medium. I mean, talkies kind of came in and messed things up a little bit, but I love the idea of people expressing themselves through their actions and they're quiet. And um, so I deliberately made the two leads, the two lead children in this movie uh, mute. Neither of them ever speaks for different reasons, but um, there's obviously there's story reasons involved, but also from just a filmmaking reason, it fascinated me to have these two kids, one from Thailand and one from America, bonding and communicating in ways that sort of bridge that cultural and language gap um, and doing it beautifully and effectively. And I watched those two kids grow toward each other through the process of the movie in that same way. It was just a wonderful evolution to watch how people, when they don't have a common language, how they truly effectively can communicate. That's true. That's true. And for for you, does traveling around the world and seeing the way that others interact, not only with themselves, but like you, uh, I'm sure you can't speak every language everywhere you go, but the the communication there as well, does it give you hope that we really are closer uh, as people than, than they want to make us out to be? I just would urge anybody who is suspicious of anyone anywhere to travel there and meet them. And there isn't a place on the planet I have landed yet that the universal language of a smile didn't just break down every barrier that, that you had put up in front of yourself the moment you landed. It's, it's yes, there, that's the antidote I think is, is just meeting, meeting those people that are different from you both in America and elsewhere. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I live in a bubble. I mean, I live everybody within 10 miles of me speaks, looks and acts exactly like me. Yeah. And has the same politics and has the same view of the world. And you know, that's, that's scary. <laughs> Cause you know, your politics. I do. I do. I don't, I don't need anybody really reinforcing them. I need a few people to come and go, you know what? That may not work for everybody. <laughs> That's pretty good. Now we we've talked about some of the other movie projects that you've worked on. And we also talked about traveling around the world. What is maybe one of the highlights that you look back at on your travels as far as a, a movie was concerned? Was there one that the location or, or maybe the timing of it really sets apart? I, I did uh, quite a few movies in Romania, um, starting around the time that just shortly after the revolution there, mm. um, throughout the the communist socialist government, and to watch a society build itself up from the wreckage of what it had, what it had cast aside um, was fascinating. The upheavals we have had, at least in my lifetime, don't compare in any way to what it's like to have your whole fabric of society torn, torn apart. And then um, you have to figure out like, let's make it up now. Well, what is, what is it we want to be? And in the middle of that, you've got me, this, this schmuck from America going, <laughs> um, I just want to, you know, get, get a camera crew together and make this movie that I wrote and, and uh, you know, who's aboard <laughs> and trying not at first trying to separate my needs from theirs 
and then realizing that not only are they kind of inseparable, but they actually ended up informing my movie in a way that uh, um, I thought was really enriching. And so I ended up sort of absorbing that whole cultural anxiety into the film. And it was kind of a horror thriller film. It was one of the prophecy series, if you've ever heard of those, mm-hmm. but um, um, it was one of my favorite ones because I, I just, I didn't try to be like an American making an American movie in a foreign land. I just thought, okay, let's, let's throw that all away and, and let's become Romanian. Now Try the, 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 my best worst adventure with, without having the dialogue and all that, having the expressions how hard was getting the expression that you were looking for sometimes difficult but usually not because um the two kids one of them the boy was a professional actor from from way back and so i did have a translator so i could give a cue and he would immediately like it was in his you know wheelhouse he could do just about anything drop of hat i need a tear i need a smile i need this that I need, you know, true, you know, inner suffering he could deliver. The girl had never acted a day in her life and her name's Lily Patra. And she just um, was uh, uh, skipping school one day because she's a bit of a rebel. (laughs) And um, I think she was at the time living with her grandmother and having some conflicts, just like the girl in our story. And she walked into an audition like, what the hell? Let me check it out. Let me see what this is all about. I don't know. And and she stood in, and since it's a mute part, she couldn't really audition, right? She couldn't right. say, I couldn't give her a bunch of lines to say. So she just stood in the cam, front of the camera and she just talked about herself and about her life. And it, it just came alive. And I realized, okay, the trajectory of this girl's story is the trajectory of my character in the movie. So if I can basically just get her to, to transplant that, character that she already has into this narrative line, I'm going to get something. And I got five times more than I expected because that's what an actress does. They, they pull out of themselves what they need for the character. And she did it in spades. I mean, she was, she was uh, truly like one of my most proud. And it's, it's arrogant to say she was a discovery because a lot of people are involved in, in fashioning her, into what she is, but, um, she's, she's a, a true find. And, um, I would not have had a quarter of the movie that I have mm. if it weren't for her, her sort of innate talent. Now, what is it in the audition that sets one apart from another? I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to ask somebody about that audition process. Is it, is it just the it factor with the, with the read? Um, this is, it's, I wish I could give you a definitive answer because I'm always battling with other people about, it's like music, you know, you like a song, I, I don't, and vice versa. It, it is, it is an alchemy and you, 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 it's intuitive and you sort of feel it. One thing I, I, in my, most of my career, I've sat in a room with actors auditioning in person and because of distance, especially these films that are, mm-hmm. are being prepped in another country or because of COVID now, mm-hmm. nobody auditions in person. They audition, they put themselves on camera like you and me are talking right now. And um, um, you would think that puts a distance on, on the relationship. You'd think that you that would. would be worse. It's better 
because when you're in the room, you're influenced by the person. Do you like them or don't you? Right. And you, 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 you warm them up in the beginning, you have a little chat and after, right. after they finish, you, cause you know, I don't want to be this jerk. This, all right. Thank you. Next. <laughs> like, like, what's up? How you doing? And you, you, you know, you're trying to establish a little bit of a rapport, but what that does is it seeps under your, your skin and it, it influences your process. Whereas I'm getting now a, a picture of you, how you would be in my movie because the movie sees through the same camera lens that I'm seeing through right now. Right. And so that's this weird, weird thing. And you see it in superstar actors when you meet them in person, it's like, really? <laughs> I had Robert Redford walk into my office years ago, accidentally. I wish he was there to see me, but um, um, I just, I barely recognized him and he was so, small, not in stature, but kind of in stature, but in just not being at all somebody I would ever think twice to look at again. It was just, Mm. but then he's on screen and of course lights it up. And that's what the camera finds sometimes that we don't. So it's really important to look at people through a lens. So technology has, has actually helped in that regards. And distance, the, the kind of, the kind of, um, separation that you get that allows you to to sort of assess a person in a way that a movie does and yeah i i find that fascinating i it took me a while to understand it because i was i was like why are these people not good on in my movie when i they were brilliant in the audition and they're doing the exact same thing what happened and it was because what went in the lens was different from what went in my eyes. Now, has there has there been any that you saw them walk in and maybe after they were cast, they really, really blew you away and you were like, where was oh, that yeah. in the audition? Yeah, I mean, um, it, it, it happens every which way. You know, you'll have somebody <laughs> that does a brilliant audition and then you want to bring them back for the, the, the boss, you know, the, the executives right. or the studio execs or whoever. And like any of us, you, 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 you've, you, uh, you panic a little <laughs> and all that, that, that whatever it is, the itness goes away. <laughs> and, and then, and then the, the execs going like, really? That, that, that was your pick. Well, yeah, but, but really it wasn't that way. Okay. Next. <laughs> so it's all, you know, I'm sure that the, the with all sorts of, 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 uh, careers that, that, the world is littered with deserving, excellent people that, but for one quirk of a moment, you know, you're there and they're there. And it's, it's, you know, it's Darwinism, I guess. (laughs) Some people get eaten and it's not their fault. (laughs) There you go. Now has the work on my best worst adventure, has that maybe inspired you to do more works aside from the horror genre that you've felt so comfortable yes. with. Yes, it, it, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> although my next film next in, the shoots uh, in September is uh, sort of a horror comedy, <laughs> but um, so I'm not, I'm not uh, throwing down the, the, the spurs, but, um, but my, my, 
push now is to do like films. They don't have to be like message movies, but movies that have some sort of a heart and soul to them that inspire people coming out instead of just going, man, that guy died in a really cool way. (laughs) Truck ran over him and then he blew up. Okay. Don't get me wrong. That can be cool. Oh yeah. Right. But, but, um, uh, this, this sort of feeds my soul and I'm getting to the age where, I'd rather just, instead of just feeding my stomach, I'm doing a little bit more. There you go. Now the, my best worst adventure is going to be available on digital coming up September yes, 1st. It's, it's uh, it, I'm, I'm learning all these new fancy things in my day. They, they, you know, you went in a theater and then you went to DVD or VHS and, you know, I could just say, go to blockbuster. Now you, there's so many streaming platforms and pay-per-view. It's like what I can basically recommend is you know we have a facebook page uh my best worst adventure um google it uh and tell your tv or use your little qwerty device to to find my best worst adventure and after september 1st it'll show up and then later on in the month or early the following uh it will be then streaming on um most of your regular platforms that if you subscribe to them, then you can just grab it off that. But, um, but yeah, it, it's just, that's what I do now. I don't know how any of this stuff works. I just type in the, the name of the movie and somehow miraculously it pops up. That's good stuff. Well, Joel, it has truly been a privilege to have the chance to visit with you today, sir. I'm looking forward to seeing the entire film myself and hopefully as uh, more works come up, we'll catch up again real soon. I'm really looking forward to hearing this episode because I I can't wait to listen to the other dudes you collected for it. Thank you so much, Cameron. Talk soon. Well, thanks again for joining us for this 129th episode of Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. If you ever have a comment, a question, anything else you'd like to know, you can hit me up on the contact page at gqwithcam.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, also TikTok, all at GQ with Cam. If you'd like to help out in the funding for this podcast, you can visit our merch store where we've got hoodies, shirts, tumblers, mugs, stickers, and more. That's gqwithcam.com forward slash shop. And if you have a special guest idea, you can email me gqwithcam at gmail.com. Thanks again to our good friend Brandon Allen for coming up with our theme music, and thanks to our sponsor for today's episode, Smiley's Breezy Vapes at 313 Falcon Road here in Altus. We hope you guys have a great weekend. We're going to let Brandon Allen go ahead and play us out. We'll be back with another episode on Monday.